Good morning, I'm Tim, and uh, I'm quite tired. And I get the sense that actually quite a lot of us are a bit tired this morning. And just as I start, I just want to say, isn't it wonderful that sometimes God moves in sort of exciting, powerful, vibrant ways, and sometimes it's quite still and a bit steady. Um, Yeah, it's great. I think he's going to keep on that tone this morning. Yeah, I'm a fourth-year student here. If you don't know me, I'd love to speak to you afterwards. Um, We're continuing our journey through the book of Acts today. If you've missed any talks along the way, you can find them through our website, and I'd recommend you do so. As Morag alluded to, God is up to something. This morning, we're going to be looking at Acts 4.32 to 5.11. I'm going to invite my good friend Amy, who's going to come up and read it for us. If you've got a Bible, I recommend you get it out. Yeah, and it'll also be on the screen. Go for that microphone. So that's Acts 4.32 through to 5.11. Take it away, Amy. Can I put this on? Of course you can. Okay, thank you. Sorry. Um, All the believers were worn in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there, was, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Amen. Thanks, Amy. I, uh, do you want to just grab that as well? Thank you. I think I got the short straw at the last preaching team meeting. Yeah, it's uh, quite the story of two halves today. The first half, we've got a captivating picture of the early church community. And then things get really, really uncomfortable. There's death and there's fear 
and then there's death, and then there's more fear. So what is going on? As we look at the passage today, I want to do so in three sections. Firstly, purposes. How can we align ourselves with the purposes of God? Secondly, possessions. What is God's heart for everything we have? And thirdly, death. What can we learn from the discomfort in the story of Ananias and Sapphira? So that's purposes, possessions, and then death. So let's get started and think about purposes. Let's turn back to the passage. Luke says that the first believers, the first church, were of one heart and mind. No one claimed anything was their own, but held it all in common. He says that this led to their witness about Jesus having great power and no one being in need. This is an incredible, captivating image for us today. It shows what church community could and should be like. But it feels quite a long way from our everyday experience. When we look at the church around the world, it doesn't feel like we're all of one heart and mind. And then when we look at ourselves, our own community, I don't think we can quite say that there's no one in need, or that our togetherness, strong as it might be, matches up fully to this example. The harmony and togetherness of this passage feel distinct from our reality. And yet, there are times when I think we begin to see moments of this oneness and togetherness. Um, I love worshipping God, and sometimes as we worship together, as we lift our voices, maybe spontaneously, each singing our own song, or maybe to the words on the screen, we just seem to take off. It's like we're all caught up in something together. We're all moving in the same direction. Our affections are all pointed towards Jesus. We enter into that one heart and mind. Our affections are all as one. A couple of weeks ago, some of us were at the Vineyard National Leadership Conference with a thousand or so other leaders from the Vineyard Movement. In one of the meetings, the leaders of Dream the Impossible, which is a youth conference run by the Vineyard Church in the UK and Ireland, stood up and shared that they felt God was calling them to expand their ministry, God's ministry. And as they spoke and shared their testimony, as they shared Jesus' heart for young people and how we could join in, something changed in the room. God was really stirring something. And later that day, an offering was taken for what was going on. £360,000 was given. £360,000 in an afternoon. Enough not just to run the conference next year, but to allow them to invest in the future of the conference, to invest in the lives of thousands of young people over a number of years. Again, for me, that was one of those one heart and mind moments. God was moving, imparting his intentions and plans in us, and stirring us to respond to his call. And the room responded in generosity and togetherness. Again, this was a moment of the harmony we see in the first half of today's passage. But these are only moments, instances of togetherness. I'm not living in the captivating fullness that the early church model. But there's hope. There's something that I'm seeing in common to all these occasions, and I don't think it's going to come as a surprise. God's gift of his Holy Spirit, his presence with us. We believe that as we gather and worship, we meet with God, we spend time in his presence. And again, at the National Leadership Conference, it was God's presence, his Holy Spirit, that was stirring hearts and minds all around the room. 
And in the verse before our passage today begins, that's Acts 4.31, we're told that after the believers prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God's Holy Spirit, living within the members of the first church, lies behind and within the togetherness and harmony of this passage. There's something about the Spirit of God filling his people that brings about a oneness of heart and mind. So what about that? Um, In 1 Corinthians 2.16, Paul says this, we have the mind of Christ. That's, we have the mind of Christ. And in English, that verse doesn't make a lot of sense. How can Paul be saying that the Christian believer has the mind of Christ? It certainly doesn't feel to me like Jesus does my thinking most of the time. The Greek word for mind here is nous. A bit like my dad, when I was doing something daft growing up, would say to me, use your nous, son, which maybe that's a northern idiom, but I think that's probably from this word. But anyway, nous means mind in the sense of purposes and intentions. We, believers in Jesus, filled with his Holy Spirit, gain Jesus's purposes and intentions. And this means that if we want to be a community like that of the early church, we do not need to think about being a community like the early church and try harder. What we need is to attend to the Holy Spirit. And as we do so, as we are filled with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, we find that Jesus' purposes become our own. And as we each have the same purposes of the same Lord, we'll find ourselves harmoniously supernaturally together, more so than we ever could by trying for ourselves. So are you in step with the Spirit? Or do you feel empty and dry? We leak and we need to keep on being filled. If we want to be part of the abundant life of Jesus, the together life that the early church models, then we need to keep being filled to the brim with his Spirit. And the good news is that God gives that gift liberally to all who ask. And later on, we'll have a chance to pray for one another. And if you need more of the Spirit, if you want more of the Spirit in your life, we'd love to pray for you. So that is purposes. The early church was of one heart and mind. The Holy Spirit was working in them the purposes of Jesus. Next, our second heading this morning is possessions. How did Jesus' purposes shape what the believers did with what they had. Let's turn again to Acts. And the first thing to say is that this community was not a hippie commune or a socialist utopia. Two readings that I myself probably have been guilty of in the past. The passage says they didn't call anything their own, not that they gave everything away. It says that from time to time, those who owned land or uh, or houses sold them, brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Giving up everything wasn't a requirement of membership. And I think that the oneness of heart and mind is really important for understanding what's actually going on here. The early church, having the mind of Christ, being filled with his purposes, held everything for God's intentions and purposes. They didn't call it their own. Yes, some did sell houses and land, but this wasn't a requirement. It was an overflow of something that was going on within. Their intentions affections and purposes were set in line with those of Jesus. They were all in 
to God's plans and purposes. And what about us? Are we all in for Jesus? Do we hold all that we have, our possessions, for God's purposes and intentions? This doesn't mean giving everything away. But for some of us, I think it might mean giving something away. He's calling us to, for us to use the things that he's given us for his purposes. If he's laying something on your heart, respond in obedience. It will be for your good and the growth of his kingdom. But for other visitors, I think there's a subtle shift in mindset on offer here. There are things that we have and that we already use fully for God's purposes. We just don't realize it. I love the outdoors. I particularly love climbing mountains. For me, it's a place where I really connect with God. I get good rest. I've got a really nice pair of walking boots. They're comfortable, they're warm and waterproof. I couldn't ask for much more in a boot. (laughs) Yeah, I said that. (laughs) But I think God's purposes for those boots, right now at least, isn't that I give them away, it's that I get into the mountains and I spend time with him. He doesn't always want us to give things away, but we do need to recognize that everything is a gift from him to be enjoyed and used as he would wish it. God wants us to partner with him, and that's possible in every part of our days, even enjoying a relaxing walk up a mountain. Let's recognize the gifts in everything we have and live in that intimate partnership with him. But there's more to this than physical possessions. Our passage says that they gave witness to Jesus with great power. As we've been working through Acts, we've seen how God keeps on working miracles through the believers, people just like you and me. He has given us and continues to give us gifts of the Spirit for his purposes. As we spend time with him, aligned with him, and we are filled with his presence, we need to expect his power to move in and through us. I'd share another story from the National Leadership Conference. At the end of what had been quite a hard-hitting meeting, my wife, uh, Laura, and I were having a fairly emotional conversation. Emotional for two reasons. The meeting itself had hit on quite a few things that, for one or other of us, had been quite relevant for where we were at. And also because we knew that at the end of this meeting, we had to step out into something new. And it scared us. So there we were, a little teary and a little fraught, But then this bloke from the Falkirk vineyard came over. We'd never met him before, and he said simply that he felt God was with us and that whatever we were struggling with would just turn out okay. What he said wasn't particularly profound, but it was just enough to move us from a place in which we were hurting and afraid into a place where we could step into something new. This man was listening to what the Holy Spirit was saying, and then he shared it. He received something from God and he gave away what he'd been given. I believe that now, all through our service, through our whole week and every week, God is giving us spiritual gifts. Words, pictures, prophecies, gifts of healing so that we might share him with the world around us. There's a twofold challenge here. Firstly, are we listening to what he's saying? What is he wanting to do in and through us? There's so much more to say about listening to God, but now is not the time. And secondly, once we've listened, we need to be obedient. It takes courage to step out. Maybe we'll get it wrong.
but I think that's okay. Mike Pilavacci, the leader of the Soul Survivor Movement, says this, and I find it very helpful. If we get it wrong, nobody dies. But if we get it right, someone might come to life. If we get it wrong, nobody dies. But if we get it right, someone might come to life. So let's be courageous people. Who knows what difference it might make? God's got a purpose for every possession he's given us. Every moment of time, every penny, every item, every whisper of his spirit, every gift of his spirit, he has a purpose for it. And he's got a purpose for you. Let's be a community who are filled with the purposes of Jesus, who witness to God with power and who show God's immeasurable goodness through how we use our every possession. And now it's time for things to get a little uncomfortable. We're going to turn to our third heaven, death, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Let's retrace the story if it wasn't memorable the first time. <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira, like others, feel led to or decide to, the passage isn't clear in which is the case, sell their property. However, they decide to keep some of the money for themselves. So Ananias goes and gives some of the money to the apostles, not bargaining for what came next. Peter calls Ananias out on his lie that the money uh, that he's given was the full value of the house. And Ananias promptly drops dead. And then the whole episode repeats with his wife, Sapphira. She lies, gets found out, and then drops dead. And this is bad enough. Well, then when we look closer, maybe notice the first time, it gets even more uncomfortable. When Sapphira comes in, Peter knows she's about to lie. He even says, the feet of the man who buried your husband are at the door waiting to carry you out. For me, though, the most alarming thing is that neither Ananias or Sapphira get a chance for forgiveness. They don't get a chance to say, God, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? They both die. And Peter seems to know it's going to happen. This passage is beyond uncomfortable. It's scary. But to some extent, I think that is the point. This passage is meant to make us really uncomfortable. If we look at how the believers responded, we're told that after both of the deaths, they were very afraid. Luke offers no other explanation. It's not going to do to explain away the discomfort of this passage. In fact, at the heart of this discomfort is, I believe, what God wants to say to us this morning. Ananias and Sapphira have done something wrong. They've lied, and pointlessly. According to Peter, they're not like the other believers filled with the Holy Spirit, but filled with the devil. So this passage reminds us of the holiness of God, and his holiness is rather uncomfortable. Holiness means otherness, to say that God is holy means that he's fundamentally distinct and different from us. You can understand this difference in terms of his perfection. God is perfect, whilst we are not. God is so perfect that imperfect things cannot be near him and remain as they are. Ananias and Sapphira come near to God having done something wrong. They bring their imperfection and they die in the face of God's awesome, powerful holiness. God's presence is a dangerous place to be if we're not right with him. And this is an uncomfortable truth because we are each keenly aware of the many things we do wrong every day. 
But there is good news. Through Jesus, we can approach God. We get to approach him because Jesus lived a perfect life. He died and he rose again, defeating death and ascended into heaven, making a way for us to draw close to God on his merit and not on our own. We may get it wrong regularly, but we are saved from death, not because of what we've done or not done, but simply through Jesus. We then have a choice, and the choice is between life and death. If we choose Jesus, we not only get the, cho- the promise of eternal life to come, but we get the promise of abundant life today. He invites us to that captivating, rich life of partnership with him, the life that we saw in the first half of today's passage. But if we do not choose him, there's only death. We need Jesus. And this passage impresses upon us the urgency of this need. I cannot explain away why Ananias and Sapphira die without a second chance for forgiveness. But I can say that God's holy and that holiness means our choice to follow him is an urgent choice, a choice of life or death. So if you do not know Jesus, we'd love to introduce you to him. Jesus loves you out of death. He's made a way for each of us to be right with God. And maybe this is completely new to you and you'd like to know more and we'd love to talk to you. Chat with a person you came with or someone you know or with Jim, Rachel, Morag leading the service or Caitlin. They'd love to chat with you or anybody else, but they're good eggs. (laughs) Or maybe you've been around a church for a while and you just need to make a decision. In that case, we'd love to introduce you to him today. In a few minutes, we'll have a time to pray for one another down the front. If you'd like to know Jesus for yourself, I encourage you to come to the front. We'd love to pray with you. This is the most important decision you could ever make. But if you do know Jesus, and I think that's the majority of us in this room, I think the discomfort of this passage offers us a distinctly different challenge. I've found preparing this talk really uncomfortable. And I've found delivering what I've just said really uncomfortable. I love talking about God's grace, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness, all the stuff that sounds really good. I really like talking about all the benefits of life with Jesus, but I don't want to talk about holiness and judgment. And yet, that's part of our message. It's not the whole message, but it's part of it and part for which we must not be ashamed. In fact, God's holiness is good news. If he wasn't holy, he really wouldn't be that great. If he wasn't holy, then imperfection, all of that stuff, the mess of this world, could exist alongside him. Heaven probably wouldn't be that great. The kingdom that he's building in the world around us, the kingdom of goodness, of life, would coexist alongside the kingdom of death. We need God's powerful holiness. Let's not be ashamed of it. Let's show people God's love, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his holiness. I once heard a really helpful illustration about holiness. I think sometimes we think of it as a white t-shirt, that actually if we're wearing God's holiness and people come near us, then actually it's going to get mucky, and so we try and protect God's holiness. But God's holiness isn't a white t-shirt. God's holiness is a bleach. It's powerful. In this passage, 
uncomfortably, God's holiness kills Ananias and Sapphira. We're not going to walk around and people drop dead. But what it does do is it's something powerful. It changes things in the world around us. In a moment, we're going to enter into a time of ministry. And that means we're going to create time for God to move among us and speak to us and do whatever he wants to do. If you've been challenged by anything this morning, or if you just felt God speaking to you, or you've got any need whatsoever, then there's an opportunity to come to the front and have a member of one of our home groups trained to pray sensitively and respectfully pray with you. Something else as well, if you don't feel you want to come forward, can I encourage everyone to be listening to what God has to say to you? He might be leading you to share something, to step out in partnership with him. While we invite people to come and pray at the front, God is not finished with those of us who are still at the back. How might he be using us to minister to one another? If we get it wrong, nobody dies. But if we get it right, someone might come to life. So, are you filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit? Or would you like more? Do you need him to come and shape your mind to his purposes? Is your every possession, all of your stuff, your time, your gifts, is it all at God's disposal? Are you challenged by God's holiness? Do you need to make that choice between life and death? Do you need to choose not to be ashamed to talk about God's holiness, to carry that into the world around you? Let's stand. Father God, I thank you for your presence here with us. I thank you that up to this point this morning you've been faithful in meeting with us. I pray you'd continue that now. May you be imparting your purposes and intentions. Come and do what you want to do.